Welcome to the FPC Thomasville podcast. We believe human life has a designer, so learning to live by design will help you thrive within all your spheres of influence. Today, you will hear a message from Dr. Rob Weingartner as part of our World Mission Conference 2020. so many friends and be reminded of this church and its great faithfulness in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ around the corner and around the world. It is an encouragement um, and um, to be here for the 44th or 45th mission conference, uh, bless you for all that you do in reaching out to the world. Several years ago, I officiated at the wedding of one of my nephews and his fiancée, and they chose as the scripture lesson for their service a text from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. It's a familiar story about the man who builds his house on the rock and what happens if you build your house on sand. And you'll remember that um, the rains fall and the floods come and the winds blew and beat on the house. I, I, guess, I, I guess I read that text with a little bit of emphasis <clears throat> because I, I, I said to them, and the rain fell and the rains will fall and the floods came and the floods will come, and the winds will blow and beat on that house. The wind will blow and beat on your house. My unmarried son, who was sitting next to my wife, said, is it that bad? (laughs) (laughs) She smiled and looked at him and said, you have no idea. (laughs) Well, he does now. He's, He's now married. But lest we falter or fall when the storms come, or we be beset with the burden of affluence and ease. I want this morning, with the Spirit's help, to reflect upon something that's foundational for Christians, those who follow Jesus. And that is the intersection of mission and our resources, our our money. The Apostle Paul had spent 18 months living with the Corinthians. He knew these people. He knew them by name. He knew their strengths and their weaknesses beginning of chapter 8, Paul makes it clear that the power of God is operative in them, in their Christian giving. And he reminds them of how the grace of God has been evident among the churches of Macedonia, poorer churches who had raised gifts for the church in Jerusalem. These are poor people. Some of them had experienced what Christians are experiencing today, being put out of families, losing jobs, suffering uh, pressure and uh, neglect and discrimination because they named the name of Jesus. And so a part of Paul's purpose, and Sasan mentioned it, it's, it's a remarkable thing that Paul gives a couple of years to this task before he goes to Spain, before he longs to go to Spain. He takes a couple of years for this task of raising up an offering for the poor saints in Jerusalem. Paul reminds them that the authenticity of their faith is going to be reflected in their giving. Of course, we, we, we see that in Jesus himself. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he was still rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Paul was writing to encourage the Corinthians to be ready to add their gifts to this offering. He sends Titus and two other men who are called messengers of the churches. And one almost gets the sense from Paul's words that this is about an issue that we would call transparency. 
and, and accountability. They're to be there to be sure that everything is uh, being done properly. Paul tells them that um, they should pay attention to their life and to their resources. Because when one part of the body is hurting, another, all the parts of the body suffer. Now, I had originally thought of that metaphor primarily in terms of the life of a, of a congregation. But I, I realize now it, it, it describes the global church as well. Because we've sat with, the outreach has sat with believers in Iraq and in Syria and in Pakistan who are suffering pain and persecution for their faith, who are being displaced by violence and, and forces of injustice, forces of evil. And um, they're, when they are part of the body that's hurting, we hurt with them. Paul is inviting the Corinthians into the life of the kingdom, into the life of the body of Christ. And I want to read to you ninth chapter of 2 Corinthians for our text. Listen to the word of God. Now it is not necessary for me to write to you about the ministry to the saints, for I know your eagerness, which is the subject of my boasting about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia, that's Greece, has been ready since last year, and your zeal stirred up most of them, but I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you may not prove to have been empty in this case so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, we will be humiliated to say nothing of you in this undertaking. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for this bountiful gift that you have promised, so that it may be ready as a voluntary gift and not as an extortion. The point is this. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctant or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. As it is written, he scatters abroad, he gives to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. For the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. Through the testing of this ministry, you glorify God by your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and by the generosity of your sharing with them and with all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace that he has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. This is the word of the Lord. May he write its truth on our hearts. It, it is a natural thing that an experience of the grace of God should usher us into a spirit of generosity, into a spirit of giving and sharing. And if we believe that mission is more than a program of the church, then it is the church's purpose, and it's a way that we participate in the very trinity of God that sends into the world, we will find in this participation our loving purpose. Now, I travel around and I see a lot of churches, and I think one of the most critical questions that are facing 
church in the West today is this. For whose sake does the church exist? It changes the way we think about the world, how we answer that question. It changes the way we think about the church. It changes the way we think about ourselves. And it changes the way we think about ourselves. What I'm describing is God's call. I think it's a biblical call to move from a church-centered mission to being a kingdom-centered church. One of the things that we notice in Paul's letters and also in the teaching of Jesus and in his prayers is that the first act of witness of the church is its life together, its shared life. Our care for the saints is the place where our witness to the gospel begins. In John, remember, Jesus says, By this will all people know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. There is to be something about the character of our relationships, the nature of how we serve one another in Christ, that discloses to the world who Jesus is. In Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, he puts it this way, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. See, Jesus knows that the church's first act of witness is its shared life, and that in that life it bears witness to the world that Jesus was sent by the Father. And Paul, of course, reminds us time and again of our need to share and serve. In Galatians, he writes, So then, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. How we order our financial houses is a key part of how we participate in the kingdom of God. And the thing that Jesus taught about the most, if you just do a, a content analysis of his teachings, is the kingdom of God. The thing about which he spoke second most often is wealth and resources, our stuff. And you remember, Jesus observed, no man can serve two masters. Jesus invites us into the rhythm of sowing and reaping that Paul contends that we are, that we are to participate in. I love his text of the second, the second letter to the Corinthians because he invites us to give cheerfully. The word in the Greek is actually ileron, and it means hilariously. I, I had a taste of that first in Tet Province, Mozambique, where I visited with congregations who literally danced down the aisle with their offerings, smiling and celebrating God's faithfulness in their lives, that, they were, that God was faithful. Paul says they should give cheerfully and that they should also give freely, without compulsion. They should give out of a sense of generosity. And he says they should give expectantly knowing that they are joining with God in the natural cycle of planting and sowing. Writing earlier to the Corinthians, he says, Who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? And if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Paul understands that all we have comes to us from the gift of God. It's not as though... Um, we earn 90% of what we take in and we give God 10%. Everything we have and are belongs to God and comes to, him, to us as a gift from him. And there's a responsibility that comes with that. You know, 
people on welfare in Thomasville often need help and should be helped. And I'm thankful for all the ways your congregation reaches out into this community. But did you know that a person on welfare in most places in the world would be a wealthy person? So by any measure, most of us are, are among the rich of whom Jesus speaks. And Paul writes when he says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. See, God gives us things to enjoy, uh, an experience of this abundant life, this life in Christ that comes to us through faith. But he also gives us more than we need for a reason, and that is so we can share it with others. This rhythm of giving and planting and sowing is described by Jesus in Luke 6 this way. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It will be put into your lap, and for with the measure you use it will be the measure given back to you. As we enter the rhythm of God's, re God's economy of sowing and reaping, we experience his blessings in beautiful and unexpected ways. Some of you will remember the church in Rwanda and how it was wracked by genocide in 1994. I had a, a chance to get to know a, a pastor from Rwanda who was in the States at that time and six months later didn't know if his family was still alive. My congregation had helped him and served him in different ways. Later when the World Trade Center towers were hit by planes and came tumbling to the ground, the first person I heard from was Andre who then lived in Kenya and wrote a note to say, I'm praying for you and for your nation. Paul points out that they can expect, the Corinthians can expect, that these saints whom they bless will be praying for them. And what a gift and how humbling that is. It's sometimes hard for us, though, you know, to part with the things that, that are ours. Um, I, I think of an elder in the Middletown, Ohio church that I served, a man from Scotland, who um, liked my wallet that had a strip of Velcro on it. Because whenever I would open it, often at the golf course, he would say, I a purse that screams. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's hard for us to part with the things that God has blessed us with. And I, th I think of um, a man that I came to know through my work with the Outreach Foundation, who when he was a young man and didn't know what his life would hold, decided that he would give half of everything that he earned to God's work. And he did that faithfully as he advanced through his careers and became a, a brilliant manager of his own investments. He gave probably $40 million to mission in Africa, which was a wonderful fulfillment of his great-grandmother's prayer. She prayed that God would send him as a missionary to Africa or as a pastor she would have marveled to know that how God used him in uh, training up pastors in Africa and sending missionaries and building churches all over that continent. He made a decision that there was a, enough and that if he had enough, then it was because he was supposed to do something with the rest of his fortune. Uh, I think two of two little girls, uh, granddaughters of Tom Widmer, a former staff member, a colleague of mine, who when they heard about the children who were flooding out of Syria when the violence began there 
with the Civil War nine years ago said, well, we've got to do something for those girls. And so they made a lemonade stand. I think they charged $300 a glass. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's not true. <laughs> but they received a lot of extra contributions when the people learned what they were raising funds for. You know, I have a friend who says, don't give until it hurts. I think he's thinking of Paul. He said, give until it feels good. And I have to be honest with you. I, I hope that you reach your challenge goal because I know Leon Dorleans and I know the work that he's doing in Haiti. And it's amazing how God is using that ministry to, to transform lives of children and, and people who are broken, people who need hope, people who are literally hungry, hungry for food and hungry for hope in the, that comes only through the gospel. So I, I hope you reach your challenge goal because I know that Leon will be blessed. And he will take your gifts as he gives thanks for this congregation and bless those who are around him in Cite Soleil, the worst slum in Haiti. Our natural inclination is to hold on to what we have. To build bigger and more barns. To buy more storage facilities. And um, I think... I had a friend who said, if you really want to know what someone believes, look at their checkbook. My wife writes the checks in our home, so I don't see it very often. But when I look at it, I think of, I think of uh, Jim. And I think, what does my checkbook say about my values and what I'm committed to? Don't give until it hurts. Give until it feels good. And Calvin said, whenever fleshly reason calls us back, from doing good through fear of loss. We should oppose it with this shield. But the Lord declares that we are sowing. Sowing. Sowing so that we might reap a harvest. God is the Lord of the harvest. The Scottish missionary David Livingston wrote, I place no value on anything I have or may possess, except in relation to the kingdom of God. If anything will advance the interests of the kingdom, it shall be given away or kept, only as by giving or keeping it I shall most promote the glory of him to whom I owe all my hopes in time or eternity. <clears throat> if anything will advance the interests of the kingdom, it shall be given away or kept, only as by giving or keeping it I shall most promote the glory of him to whom I owe all my hopes in time or eternity. <coughs> David Livingston was born poor child poor, of a poor family in Blantyre, just south of Glasgow in Scotland, on March 19th in 1813. At 10 years of age, he began working in the local cotton mill, and he took his school lessons in the evening. In 1836, he began studying medicine and theology in Glasgow, and he decided that he was being called to be a missionary doctor, much to his father's dismay. In 1841, he was sent to the edge of the Kalahari Desert in southern Africa. In 1845, he married Mary Moffat, daughter of a fellow missionary. He would say she was the harvest that came from seeds that he had sown. Livingston became convinced of his mission to reach new people with the gospel in the interior of Africa and introduce them to Christianity. 
as well as freeing them from their slavery. He's quite a man. And you'll remember that he disappeared. Well, you know, probably you won't remember it. Maybe you read about when Livingston disappeared for three years and the British journalist Stanley went out looking for him and finally found him and approached him in a clearing and said, Dr. Livingston, I presume. That was in 1871. <coughs> In 1873, he died in Zambia. Devoted African friends at great risk to their own lives carried Livingston's body to Dar es Salaam so it could be sent back to London for proper, for proper burial. But they buried his heart in a tin can, a flower can, under a beautiful African tree in Zambia. They buried his heart in Zambia. Now Jesus says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We tend to think of it the other way, that where our heart is, that's where we'll put our treasure. But I think Jesus gets it right. Of course he would get it right. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I don't know where your heart will finally rest when your days on this earth come to an end. But I know that God calls each of us to be faithful stewards of what he has entrusted us with. That the reason we have more than we need is so we can share that, share with those who do not have need, those who do not have enough. That the first act of the church's witness is the exhibition of our life and care for each other. We care for other Christians, even in places far away. There's a beautiful congregation in Basra, Iraq southern Iraq that's been reeling from the political violence and trying to find their way forward. We pray for them. And many Presbyterian churches in the United States are making gifts that are encouraging them and, and resulting in their prayers. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I don't know where your heart will finally rest, but I hope that your heart will be found, your treasure will be found in the things of the kingdom so that your heart may be also with the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord, people come and, and ask for money and invite us to think about changing our lives. You come to us and ask about changing our lives, that we would truly make you Lord of all we have and all that we are. Lord, free us from bigger barns, let us live with open hands in ways that disclose your glory and gra your glory and grace. Allow your grace to usher us into a new season of generosity through Christ our Lord. Amen.